You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Have you heard? The RHISAC Cyber Intelligence Summit is coming to Denver, Colorado from April 9th through the 11th. The summit is part of the RHISAC's mission to help improve cybersecurity across the entire retail and hospitality sector. As a result, it has become the can't-miss event for retail and hospitality cybersecurity practitioners. Join us for three days of professional development and networking with the brightest minds in retail and hospitality cybersecurity. Attendees have access to prominent thought leaders and industry experts and plenty of opportunities for collaboration. For more information and to register, visit summit.rhisac.org. That's summit.rhisac.org. We can't wait to see you in April. Happy Valentine's Day. This is Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership at the Retail and Hospitality Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And this is the RHISAC Podcast. Ah, Valentine's Day, and there's romance in the air for many of us. So let's make this episode about a couple of the RHISAC's relationships, past and present. We have a new relationship with associate member Stairwell. Today, I'm interviewing Aaron Moog, Stairwell's forward deployed CISO, about their malware analysis platform. Very romantic. And more importantly for RHISAC members, the sharing program they designed just for us. This interview is on the heels of a demo Aaron did for RHISAC members last week of the platform. We recorded that as well. Members, you can find it on Member Exchange. But if you need help finding it or for more information, send your favorite RHISAC CTIT member a love note. Or if you're not yet a member, shoot me an email at podcast at rhisac.org and we can plan a date to go over it. As for a past relationship in this episode, RHISAC President Susie Squire continues her series of interviews with the CISOs and cybersecurity professionals who had a hand in getting the RHISAC started 10 years ago, 2024 being our special milestone 10th anniversary. What's the gift for 10 years? Diamonds? I'm going to go with diamonds. We are planning celebrations throughout the year, starting at our summit in Denver in April. More information at summit.rhisac.org and at regional events throughout the year, and then culminating at our member meeting and celebration in September. So for this episode, Susie sits down with Scott Howitt. Scott is now the chief digital officer at UKG. They do human resources, software, and services. But prior to that, he was the CISO MJM and JCPenney, retail and hospitality, and an RHISAC founder and past board member and past vice chair. So thank you for taking time out from any romantic interludes you had planned for today to listen to the RHISAC podcast. As always, if you have something cybersecurity related that you'd like to contribute, shoot us an email at podcast at rhisac.org. Or if you're a member, hit me up on Slack or Member Exchange. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Susie Squire, president of the Retail and Hospitality ISAC. And I am joined today with a special guest, one of Susie's plus one, 
One of my all-time favorite people, uh, Scott Howitt, who is the current Chief Digital Officer for UKG, but formerly a board member of RHISAC and one of our founding members and founding board members. So, Scott, how the heck are you? I'm doing great, Susie. It's, re it's really nice to be on here and being back involved with RHISAC. I know. You've been such a key in integral player in the history of this organization. And you know we miss you terribly, but uh, I know you're going on to bigger and better things. But um, let's start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now at UKG before we start going into the what the past? Yeah, sure. Uh, I joined UKG about a year and a half ago, right after they had their ransomware incident. So I am the chief digital officer, the the CISO, the CIO, the chief data officer, and the chief risk officer reporting to me. So I'm I'm not out of the woods with security. We're still alive and active on it, and and uh, growing the growing the security team here. That's great. Good to hear. Good to hear. Are you are you still in the Dallas area or or? I am kind of in the Dallas area, but I have a place down in Florida as well. One of our headquarters is in Western Florida, so I spend a lot of time down there as well. All right, great. Well, glad to hear things are going well, but let's go back a couple of years, almost 10 years, if you can believe it. That's hard to believe. It is hard to believe, isn't it? And you and I look exactly the same. <laughs> Beard might be a little grayer, but not, not otherwise. Exactly it's looking great, babe. It's looking great. <laughs> so can you remember back then you were the CISO? Was that your title at JCPenney? I was, I was okay. CISO at JCPenney. Yeah, JCPenney. And uh, one, of, uh, one of the group that we pulled together in early 2014. And, you know, we've actually never talked about this, or if we did, it was... 10, you know, nine or 10 years ago, what was the atmosphere like in JCPenney, you know, in the early days of 2014 after, which wasn't one of the first breaches in, in the retail industry, but the largest at that time um, with, the, with the target breach that happened. Were your leaders coming to you asking questions or do you happen to remember what it was like uh, where you were? Oh, I do. It was, it was like, it went from... Security was very little concern to the forefront of everybody. I was answering to the VP of store ops. I was answering to general counsel. I was answering to the CEO. And, and ironically, if you remember, we'll take it back even further back to the TJ Maxx day. JCPenney was one of the companies mentioned. And so, you know, Gonzalez had broken into Penny's, uh, but hadn't extracted any data when he got caught by the FBI and and I got brought in quickly right after that. And so, but we kind of kept security a secret within pennies for those four or five years. And then Target came along and suddenly, like I said, everybody was worried, everybody was nervous. And boy, then it seemed like from then on about every week, it was a brand new retailer getting popped. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time with the board and a lot of time with the executives going over you know, why we thought we were different than what happened at Target. And just curious, at that time, did you, I know you obviously have a peer network. Were you reaching out to peers here, talking to them, seeing what they were what they were going through, things along those lines? We were, but it was pretty far and far between. Like, you know, I, I never talked to the people at Target. I remember one time we discovered some like gift card fraud on Silk Road and I know we'd seen like, hey, Gap was a, a script out there. So we called up the people over at Gap. But it was 
it was very rare that we ever got on the phone with them. Well, I was more likely to be talking to the other CISOs in the Dallas area and talking to them about, hey, what are you doing? You know, what tools are you putting in? But it was never really specialized around what was happening in retail. And, and sadly enough, like we have a lot of big retailers in Dallas. We just didn't seem to, you know, reach out to each other a whole lot. Yeah. So then then um, I came into your life. <laughs> it's a wonderful day. <laughs> And uh, I was working with the trade association at that time, and uh, we had a lot of folks working on the government side, you know, because there was a lot, as you remember, a lot of government questions about what's going on, what's retail, do they need to be regulated? There are a lot of questions about that up on the Hill. And uh, and then we were working on the operations side, and we gathered uh, folks together, and I think our first meeting, it was at the NCFTA in Pittsburgh. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I what I remember is why anybody would want to go to Pittsburgh <laughs> in March because <laughs> it was very cold. But yeah, I, re I remember that, and I had no idea what to expect when I showed up. And we had this. We were we were in like a small classroom. Uh, we had some presentations. We had uh, I think Bill Nelson from FS ISAC come up and talk about what their ISAC was doing, and talked about different models and, and the ISAC model. And I think we had about 30 companies in there at that time. It wasn't a big group. Uh, and uh, and we just kind of hashed it out. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, if your memory serves you better, but we left that meeting saying, let's pursue this ISAC model. Yeah, it, it was. You know, it was super interesting because I remember there was there was a lot of open debate about it, right? I think some of the CISOs were like, Haha, ha, it didn't happen to me. And as long as it doesn't happen to me, maybe it's a little bit of a competitive advantage. And there were others who are like, no, like hey, I I think what goes around comes around, right? And like it's it's probably gonna hit all of us if we're not really careful in banding together. And so, you know, I I had never really I dealt with other information sharing forms before. So I, I was familiar with the concept. But I think that was the first time it dawned on me that like, oh my gosh, yeah, I, surely we're we're seeing the same threat actors and the same people coming against us. Like, why aren't we sharing this information? So I'd say there were, there were four or five of us that really got it. And then I think there was a whole lot on the fence. And then there were some that I think they were like, no, I'll never join, who change your minds later. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think there are some folks who this was kind of a whole new concept. You're right. You know, uh, it was a lot of it was a lot of great, uh, great back and forth, great discussion during that time. And uh, I, I always remember everyone was uh, was open to to talking. So that that was really great. Uh, and then I remembered I, I just remember we had that meeting in in D.C. at Morrison Forrester's offices down there. You remember yeah, when that? you told me who it was at first, I thought it was maybe a joke. <laughs> they need to find a better name to shortcut their name. Mofo. <laughs> I know, but it was beautiful offices. It and we was, had a great right? time. I think I think you and I ditched each other. We went to the wrong, wrong what is it? White and Elephant or some some bar? Wrong pubs. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> but we got together anyway. And then we began, and then we began the journey. And you um, you know, were, were gracious enough to be on the board as as part of our, our leadership. 
How did you feel at that time? You know, just, I don't know, it's again, it's been a while, but, you know, helping to lead the group and any any thoughts as we were kind of beginning this, we were still forming. I mean, when when we put, put the board together, we hadn't hired anybody. We were just putting our governance together. Booz Allen was leading us, but it was just a lot of work on you and uh, the core group on on setting all of the foundations for the organization. Yeah, it was it was interesting because like I never heard of a five hundred one, you know, B C D organization. <laughs> like I had no idea what that was. I didn't know there was such you know legal ramifications of what we we're doing. I think too, it was it was really wow when I saw the disconnect because remember you know we had had somebody from either CSER or somebody like that come in and talk to us and it was kind of like. Yeah, we'd love to get all your information. Like, we won't give you any back, but we'll take all yours. And it was like, what? <laughs> that, that doesn't seem right. But, you know, I, I you know, I was able to go to the board and say, hey, I think we need to put down this initial money. I think we should be one of the charter members. Uh, you know, if nothing else, it shows that we have goodwill to towards the industry and what we're doing. But I think that was the thing is, I think most security people are mission-driven, Right. And, and it, I think you get that a lot of us, you know, come from the military. But I, I think, too, it's just, you know, we're trying to do the right thing. And, yeah, I want to do it for my organization. But if I can do it for the broader good, why wouldn't I want to do that, too? And so I think it was the first time that, you know, I really started getting excited about, wow, you know, not only can I help what's going on with JCPenney, but wow, we could help the industry as a whole and give, you know, consumers were losing a little confidence in retailers. Hey, we could give them some confidence back. And, and so I thought it was great. And, and two, like the cast of characters that were, you know, surrounding us all, like they were all of like minds too. And I think that was what was really cool about it is that, you know, they're, they're, it was people who had kind of the same mission in mind. Yeah, it was, it was. And, and, you know, I always, I kind of think back at times, not to equate it like founding fathers or anything, but you know, the when you're doing something like this, it's interesting, the group that you that you surround yourself with or or who gravitate to it, you know? And it's like you said, um, that mission, having that mission uh, overall. And we're fortunate to have a lot of great brands, a lot of great people who are willing to put the time, because there's a lot of time put into that, you know? Is more time than you initially thought, for, for sure. <laughs> but, but like I said, I do think it was really rewarding, especially, you know, when you saw things like, wow, like not only did this attack not happen in our organization, but I know like seven other people that I talked to today didn't happen in theirs too because we shared that information, right? And it was when we finally started seeing that kind of momentum that was a real aha moment of how cool this could really be. Yeah, I agree. You, and you needed that. And you really needed leaders such as yourself and, and the other uh, the other founding members to um, to take that under uh, in their charge, you know, and to, and to drive that, which was which was also key uh, and to show people how it works. And then you had another opportunity when you left JCPenney and you went over to MGM. And can you tell us a little bit about the conversations you had with other gaming hospitality folks, primarily in Las Vegas, but probably overall, when they were kind of looking at information sharing. Yeah, for sure. And and I think 
that's the one thing most people you know don't understand. MGM Resorts is is not just MGM Grand. It's it's twenty nine resorts across the U.S. and in in Macau and I, now there's properties popping up in Dubai and Japan and and so you know. But what most people don't think about when they think about a casino is, hey, you know, from a MGM Resorts at the time had two hundred and fifty retail locations within our properties. And then at the time we were the largest non-themed restaurant tour in the U.S. with over 400 restaurants and bars and, and things like that. And, and so as I went over there, certainly I had new challenges that I never had in retail. You know, how do you coordinate with physical security? I, I had aquariums and dolphin tanks that I, <laughs> I never thought about how would I secure that. But what we're seeing is, wow, weird. Fin 7, Fin 9 are coming against our cash registers and they're coming against, you know, our, our restaurants and, and things like that. So it was a lot of parallels between what was happening in, in retail. And in fact, it was kind of interesting because a lot of the things and techniques that we knew protected our registers and our stores in retail had not yet been applied in the casino space or in the hospitality space because they thought of themselves as different. And then when you got into it, it's like, actually, like guys, exact same threat actors, they're they're using the same techniques and they've just realized that, wow, the retailers got smarter. Now I'll come after the hotels and in the casinos. Yeah, just move on over. And I think at the time they were all thinking of maybe trying to start their own organization and you were instrumental in saying like, look, we belong over here, you know, with the, with it, with the retail organizations. And, uh, and, and really, you know, we, we did a lot of kind of a testing with them, you know, what we could provide and what they, and what it would be for them to start up on their self. Do you remember going through all that? Yeah. They, so when, you know, when I came on board, we were very active in in the real estate ISAC, in in uh, also the information technology ISAC, in you know good stuff. Good stuff happened in both those organizations. But as I read through it, it's like none of this is really relevant to what I'm actually seeing happen. And you know, knocking on our front door, and so um, you know, every year I'm I'm sure you were just at it. I in fact, I now I feel. I can't believe we didn't reach out to each other, but at Black Hat, you know, we hosted Black Hat every year and then DEF CON and all the CISOs in town get together, you know, a few weeks before and talk about like, okay, what do we got to watch out for this year? And let's share, you know, we're on a call with each other every morning, making sure we share information between properties. And so, you know, having the conversation with them of like, hey, look, here's what I was getting out of the the retail ISAC. I think we should talk about joining and pulling in other non-gaming hospitality organizations as well. And, and it was a pretty easy sell. I mean, I think they all got it pretty quickly and we started as kind of a, a little subgroup to start with and then it expanded out enough that we got to throw the H <laughs> on, on it, and it was it was a lot more fun. It was, and it was nice getting rid of the original name, which is a little, I, little I would cumbersome. Agree. And I think <laughs> yeah. you were you were a strong proponent of that, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I, I certainly was. <laughs> well, that was great, and that did help you know help launch uh, you know taking in the hospitality and whether it's casinos or hotels, and actually now you know quick service restaurants, same thing. It's like you said, you know at MGM you had 
a ton of restaurants as well as what you're when you were there. So um, a lot of great stuff, and and uh, can't thank you enough for all that that you guys did and bringing and you particularly in bringing that together for us as well. So it was fun. Um, I do have to bring up a sore spot. Do you have an idea? I do. I do. And and I can still say that you're not wearing the clothing that I gave you. I I'm not. I'm not. You know, it, would you like be... to would you like to tell the listeners about what I'm talking about? Or would you like me to bring this up? <laughs> You can tell the story and I'll finish it out. <laughs> You'll correct me. Is that what you're saying? I'll correct anything that you had wrong. <laughs> so you could you could give me the right year. I think it was 2015, 16. That sounds right. 2015. I can't remember. I don't, no, no, maybe later than that. It was a hockey season. God, my my the Washington Capitals will, will spare me for not knowing the date. No, no it wasn't that long ago. 17 and 18. Now, okay. now that you say it, 17 and 18 is when it was. Yeah. So. My hometown team, the Washington Capitals, were playing your hometown team, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. There you go, and in the uh, in the Stanley Cup, and uh, we had a bet that whoever won, the other would send them a team jersey, and you would have to take your picture in front of your losing arena, wearing the winning jersey. That is very true. I, okay. I wish I, I wish I could replay <laughs> that in another way, and 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 I can't. So now that I don't live in Las Vegas, it's, it's just taking longer to get it. But I oh, would, is that what it is? Yeah, that's okay. what it is. Because just so for everybody knows, I never got the photo. Never she, got the photo. I sent the jersey. Not. She did not. I I actually put on the jersey. It was very painful, and it fit well, <laughs> and everything. But I just never had to get down in front of T-Mobile. But I, you know what? I think I'm going back in October. So I'll, I will pack the jersey and brush all the dust off and do that. Now, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. We're the world champions right now. I know. So. Now you got it. So <laughs> the sting won't be that bad, will it? Yeah, it will not be as bad as it was. So I think I got a little, uh, you know, over my skates, so to speak, when we won game two. But yeah, you guys slaughtered us. Uh, much like we slaughtered the Panthers this year. So I That's feel pretty true. good about you did. it. All's fair, right? All's All fair. is fair. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll ask you your best thoughts or takeaway from information sharing, um, you know, what we built together uh, and uh, where you think it's going or, you know, why people should, you know, be a part of an information sharing organization any parting words from the legendary Scott Howitt? <laughs> yeah, what what I would say is is, and maybe you'll remember this when we all got together in Dallas at, at Deloitte University, and we talked a little bit about what what was our visualization of what the ISAC should be like when we look at it for three years. And I, and I remember somebody saying this, and like it, it hurt my heart a little bit because I didn't mean it in that fashion. I said. I, you know, I would like to walk away from the ISAC thinking, wow, we really created something that was meaningful and and people are going to look at and say, wow, that was really cool. And they use it on a daily basis. And somebody, I remember somebody going, well, that's pretty narcissistic. And it's like, well, <laughs> it's actually not what I, I mean. I didn't mean it narcissistically. I just thought it'd be cool to see something where like, you know, I know the way I succeeded in the security industry 
is I had a lot of people who picked me up along the way. Is it? It's the way I've su- succeeded across my career. Right? Is thank God I've had a lot of people that were willing to make time for me and help me along the way. I think you know, an ISAC is just the formalization of that. Nobody, if if you think you have still Team Six as your security team then I think it's your obligation to join an ISAC and teach others. If you think you have a team who is, you know, Boy Scout Group 101 and you need a lot of help to become SEAL Team 6, you should join an ISAC and get that help, right? There, There is nothing wrong with asking for others' help. We got to remember our adversaries are organized crime rings that have millions to billions of dollars if ransomware were a Fortune 500 company, they would be 150, right? Like we need to think about that. And so, you know, and, and so what I would take away is, listen, you're going to meet a bunch of great people who are like-minded like you. You're going to make lifelong friendships like you and I have made. We would have never met each other otherwise, right? And, and you know, I love you and the team to death over there. And it's just, you know, they're building this as a community and fighting as one is always much more powerful than trying to be the lone wolf. And, and so if nothing else, you'll make a few good friendships, have a few good laughs, but I've never seen a company join this and not benefit from it. Yeah, thank you. I agree. And I think, I think you said it perfectly. If you, are, if you are a leader of the pack, jump in and help. Help somebody else. Uh, you know, there's, that doesn't mean you don't have a role. You did. You have a key role, and uh, and and you always did that. I know you're big into mentorship. You've got. I don't even know how you keep up with all the folks that you help along the way, which is really really awesome to hear. And, uh, and you know, I just gotta I gotta say that I I'm so happy that you came into my life because we just have a we just laugh at each other every time we see each other. <laughs> that, that we sure, sure do. So I just can't bring my wife around you because you let her know all the time, you know, how I'm punching above my weight. So Jeez, so true. <laughs> so, so true. I just I just want to pull her aside and go, girl. <laughs> no, you're the best. Um, thanks for hanging around. Looking forward to seeing you in Dallas. For so sure. For whatever. Sure. And I, I did not go to Black Hat this year, but we do have to make a better plan that if we, you know, when we go to those things that we can get together with. With, and some of these other cronies that I'm going to be pulling on here, Colin Anderson, David McLeod. When was the last time you saw David? Yeah. yeah. It's been a long time. I did see Colin at Black Hat. So he and I sat and chatted for a little while. Oh, good. He's great. We'll ha- I think we'll have him on as well. So, well, Scott, you know, it's always great chatting with you. Thanks so much for being a part of this fun little podcast that we have going on. And, uh, and I, like I said, I'll reach out to you when I'm in Dallas so we can get together. Looking forward to it. And bring your wife. (laughs) Well, maybe. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Take care, Scott. Okay. Bye. All right, we are now joined on the RHISAC podcast by Aaron Moog, Forward Deployed CISO, great title, from Stairwell, one of our associate members. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So for those of us who don't know what Stairwell is or what it does, 
give us a give us a broad description. Yeah, absolutely. So Stairwell is a, a startup based in in Silicon Valley, uh, formed by uh, some ex Google folks and um, funded by you know, Sequoia and Excel and all of the standard, uh, you know, high profile Silicon Valley VCs. Um, but really, it's a company born by practitioners. It's a company born by people who uh, you know do incident response for a living, deal with threats for a living. Um, our founder, uh, Mike, was the person who built Chronicle, one of the original tag members at Google, and then built Chronicle, which is the Google SEM, um, and, and left there to start Stairwell. Um, so our DNA is kind of around big data, um, uh, scalable Google-style data management, things like that, and then really attack the problem of files, right? So invest a lot of money in this industry and logs and telemetry data. And files exist where they exist, right? They sit on the endpoint or sit on the server. Um, so we really built a mechanism to bring all of that data into kind of a modern data lake and then do all sorts of fun detection engineering with it, right? This is sort of where we are born from. Fascinating. So I do want to ask, you have a great title, Forward Deployed CISO. What does that mean? Straight up ripped off a of Palantir. That's <laughs> what they call their engineers. Um, so uh, my boss, Eric Foster, uh, loved the, the 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 genesis of that from the Palantir days, and um, sort of this idea that you're embedded within in your, your companies. Um, so I have a, a history of being um, a field CISO, which is a very um, modern title in vendor land of. Um, going out and helping customers from a more strategic perspective. So I was a field CISO at RiskIQ, a field CISO at Trace3, um, so you know different companies. Um, but you know, uh, fundamentally here, we really are a get-a-hands-dirty engineering-driven company. So that's where it comes from. Excellent. Love it. So um, as an associate member, we have a partnership where I, we as our organization, not me particularly, we have uh, some projects that we're working on. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, the program that that we've worked, we started together. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the first things I did when I, I came in was to start building relationships with the ISACs. Um, you know, I believe it's it's where a lot of the folks in our community come together, share data in a in a boundaries that have some legal structure around it. And, you know, obviously on the IR side, we're always sharing, sharing data, but, um, you know, it's, it's a great way to sort of get more community access. Um, so as we started doing that with, with RHISAC, we realized that um, some of the technology that we bring to the table uh, around malware sharing and data lakes around malware could have a, a pretty big effect on our membership, you know, from a, um, both the vendor side and, and, and the, uh, you know, retail and hospitality side. Um, so we wanted to offer a solution to essentially share malware samples. Um, and it's a traditionally very tricky thing to do, right? Um, first of all, everything tries to stop you because everything steals malware off of, of file shares and email, and things like that. Uh, and then it's just a, a very difficult thing to scale, right? Like, you know, you and I may shut up a file share where I drop one file to you, but it doesn't really grow. Um, so the fundamental architecture of Stairwell is every customer and every researcher gets a private data lake of their files. And then there's a very big data lake, which every Stairwell customer can see of essentially all of the malware, right? Um, what we built for IHISAC is essentially a middle layer, which is a data lake of malware samples that's fully anonymized, uh, and and not attributable, right? Meaning if you put malware in that pool, I don't know that you did it. It just shows up. Um, but it's a private data lake for members to share malware samples, both upstream with RHISEC researchers and with each other, right? So if you're at, you know, one of the hospitality chains and you're nervous about, you know, the latest ransomware attack or whatever it be, and you have a sample or you want to get your hands on a sample, that's not the easiest thing to do in our industry. Um, so that's basically what we've built out for RHISAC. Um, it'll allow 
reports to contain malware samples that are downloadable. Um, every piece of malware in our entire platform is always downloadable. So there's something like 800 million pieces of malware that you can download, um, along with now a private data lake that, that our HISEC members could share. So I'm pretty excited about that. It is 100% free to any member that wants to do it. Uh, you can be an re- individual researcher. Um, you could be inside of an organization or obviously do it on an organizational level. Um, we have some member firms that are already customers and have that capability out of the box. But uh, this is not a commercialized program in the sense of you don't have to pay for play. You can, you know, you're a researcher at a retailer, let us know, we'll give you access. And tomorrow you can see all the malware samples and do what you need to do. Um, and it's it's a pretty exciting uh, program. That's that's outstanding. And, and so so thanks for that. So how does that fit with how um, a retailer, hospitality, any company really uses your platform normally to power their security program? Sure. So our our normal use case is let's collect all your binaries, right? Let's put them in a data lake. Let's uh, provide you value from your endpoints, from your telemetry into a big data lake. So we have customers that have 80,000, 90,000 endpoints on the platform that are forwarding binaries to us all day. That's how we commercialize the product, right? It's how we scale. Basically the same way anybody else sells data lakes. It's like, give me all your data, I'll help you process it. We do some magic with that around okay, now I have the file, what do I do with it, right? Um, so we have malware reverse engineering at scale. We've got YAR rules at scale. We've got um, the ability to uh, run sandboxing at scale, to consume and compare threat intelligence at scale against your files. Um, that technology extends to now doing it against samples, right? So if you want to write a YAR rule, it's very difficult because you need a lot of samples to run against. Our platform is built for that. Well, now we have this extra data lake of, of the things that are available just to our JISEC members. The technology is the same, whether the files come from a million endpoints or a one researcher doing a sample or all of the bad malware we get our hands on. It's the same technology. Um, so obviously, eventually, we would love for our you know associate member firms and, and our JISEC members to become several customers as a place to keep their data. But that's certainly not a condition of, of using our platform to be a part of the community or be a researcher. I mean, it's always fascinating to me when I um, talk to folks from companies that have this kind of 30,000-foot view of a lot of companies. What, what kind of trends are you seeing out there, um, whether it comes to malware or anything else that you're, you're working with? So our biggest focus area, I would say, from an analytics perspective, so once you have the data, right, what do you do with it? Um, we are very much in a world where uh, variance and uniqueness is hurting us, right? So, um, you know, every company you read about that's breached, it's not like they didn't have security technologies, right? It's they have prevention and they have detection. So, so what's happening? One of the things the adversaries are very good at is evasion and building malware packages, ransomware packages that evade defenses. So, one of the coolest things about binaries is you can't hide. Right. You can hide behaviors, you can tunnel traffic, you can do, but like a file is a file, right? The code is the code. So what we focus a lot on is the idea of variance. So if I get a file, that file may not trigger any alarms, but that file at a DNA level will look like other threats. So one thing we do is, so example would be if you put a sample into your data lake, it will instantly tell you the other files in the globe that look like that file. And obviously, if those are bad, you can make some determinations on how bad that file is. But really, what we're trying to do is attack the problem of variance with data science. And it's not something that's being done a ton on the detection side. It's certainly being done on the prevention side, right? So EDR companies do this for a living. Um, but it's it's difficult. It's a very difficult problem. 
And, you know, the, the prevention companies are fighting this global battle against all of the threats we're facing, but each individual organization has to fight their own battle, right? Um, you know, so one of the things I talk about is these big defensive companies thinking they're going to come help you when you're in your own breach scenario. It's very difficult, right? Because they're fighting, you know, it's sort of like expecting the army to show up and pull your car out of a ditch. Like it could happen, but they probably don't care as much. They're fighting a bigger fight. So I'm really focused on each individual company and organization. Can I understand the files I touch and how they relate to other potential badness, right? There's only 12, 14, 15 malware kits in use at any given time. It's not that many variants, um, but it's very, very easy to hide them. And so that's really what we're focused on. And so we do that at a code level, right? So this code looks like this code, therefore it might be bad or good, is really one of the things we focus on energy on. Wow, that's uh, that's fascinating. Um, and so where do you see, if you had to put on your your soothsayer hat or your crystal ball, uh, where, do you, where do you see this? Uh, any trends going in the future? So, um, you know, I think just as a, a macro trend, I think um, security needs to be better at attacking problems with better data. Right? And, and I think in this case, we're behind our friends in IT on this. They've been doing this for a while of let me solve big, complicated, biggest business problems with data. And now obviously AI and ML, but like you have to have the data. If you don't have the data, you're not going to win, right? And so, you know, retailers, obviously part of our, our HISA community, they've been doing this for, you know, one of the big retailers could tell you how many bananas they're going to sell when there's a storm. Like they, they're very good at data science. We're incredibly immature at it in security. So I think as a macro trend, you know, building capabilities around large data, I think is is very important. We've been doing it around logs for a while. I think we've got to extend that into identity files, um, cloud behaviors, even code, right? And I think those are things that are, are, are at a macro level really interesting to me. And I think that's where we're headed. Um, and also, honestly, just as where scale comes from, right? Um, you can, even for us, right? You can only hire so many malware reversers. You can only hire so many experts. And if you don't extend that with, with scalable technology, you're going to like, you, I don't care who you are, you just have people to hire. Um, so I think those are the, the macro trends. I, I think where I would, I would say we're headed. Um, and the, the flip side of that, obviously, the threat side is, um, you know, the, the threat actors getting more sophisticated, right? In a sense of like running it like a business. You know, certainly we've seen that the last few years. Um, you know, it, it's tied to a lot of these, obviously, a lot of cons- uh, consumer behaviors and like what pays in that moment. And, you know, the move from ransomware to monetizing data outside of companies is very interesting. Um, I, I don't think, I don't really see that changing a lot in the next couple of years. I mean, it, it certainly could. Um, but I would say for companies, it's, you know, it's whack a mole at a global scale and it's getting harder than it's ever been. Um, it's actually almost impossible most days. Um, so yeah, that, I would say that would be the, the macro trend I would certainly see. Wow. So uh, for any companies, any of our members that want to get involved with the project we're, we're working on together, what advice would you give uh, to get ready or, or to prepare? Understanding how you want to interact with samples is very important. I think a lot of organizations in general struggle with this. Um, you know, Are you collecting samples in a meaningful way? Are you adding them to some library? If you are, how do you hook that library to your ops? You're doing postmortems, all this sort of stuff. Um, so certainly you can talk to your peers about what they're doing. Some of them are, are going to be involved in this effort. Um, I and my team are happy to talk to people I know. 
you know, the, the threat team at RHI stack is, is happy to talk to you about ways to, to use this. Um, you know, this is an augmentation of what everybody's doing. Um, it's not a misreplacement. It's not a tip replacement. You know, Intel is still super important. Um, it's a, it's a tool, a toolbox. And so I would say preparation wise, it's, it's thinking about how you want to interact with malware. I think one of the hardest things with malware is when you get a sample, by the nature of you having that sample, you're sort of admitting that you've seen it or been hit by it in some ways. Um, so the ability to do it anonymously, I think, is pretty killer um, of just being able to go and say, like, hey, community, here's a file. It's not attributable to you. It's not attributable to your username. Everybody should see this. And 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 from a behavioral standpoint, understand it. And from an IP and hash perspective, understand it. Go see if you're being affected by it. Oh, and by the way, the variance of that, right? I think if I'm sitting at a desk every day, that's one of the things I want to know. You know, you may not want to download the sample and reverse engineer it, and that's okay. But you got to make it useful. Um, you know, we all struggle with operationalizing Intel and operationalizing outside advice. It's just one of the hardest things to do in security. Um, so hopefully this will nudge it along. Um, you know, I we do this a lot in the research community in general, right? So we've got thousands of researchers on the platform already, um, and they use it as a way to go to market faster, essentially to build better ER rules, to build better detections. There's an entirely new sort of part of our industry called detection engineering, which is around building individual companies' defenses, right? Detection engineering from vendors, and now it's become corporate. Um, so powering detection engineering, would my rules work is another great question we can answer, is I'm going to write this detection, would it catch anything? I don't know. Like, you don't want to wait till it happens. Um, so, you know, testing out against samples is a great way to monetize and, and, and monetize your program in an effective way. Like, hey, would I catch these threats? I don't know. Let's try it out. Um, so all that is, is available to anybody who wants to try it out. Um, also, we, we love working with other, um, our friends, other vendor partners. We work with Intel companies, we work with EDR companies, we work with services companies. Um, so if, if we got any of those folks, um, we fundamentally believe in communities, they'll be answered to this. Like we've got to scale together. No one company can do it by themselves. I don't care who you are. Uh, and so we really believe that is part of our value. Yeah, we're stronger together. That's uh, that's what the United Acts are built on. So, hey, Aaron Moog from Stairwell, really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thanks very much. And thank you for your support of our community. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you to my great guests, especially RHISAC President Susie Squire for interviewing Colin Anderson and to Aaron Moog for Deployed CISO at Stairwell. If your company doesn't have a relationship with the RHISAC yet, we're waiting by the phone for you to call and ask us out or swipe right or something. To find out more about membership, go to rhisac.org slash join, show us some love and start the process. And as always, thank you to our lovely production team who do their best to make us sound good. For the RHISAC, that's Annie Chambliss. And from N2K Networks, Jennifer Iben, Trey Hester, and Elliot Peltzman. And thanks to you for being my Valentine and for tuning in. Stay safe out there. Thank you.